Welcome in Hardcore College Football. Hope you are doing well. I'm doing well myself. This is Corey Lestoki. Today we're going to be talking about the 1918 flu, aka the Spanish flu, and how it impacted the 1918 college football season. I have a lot of news to catch up with as well, so let's get after it. Welcome to Hardcore College Football. What an insane couple of weeks we have had here in the college football world. Thank you so much for tuning in and saying hello. I appreciate all the listening, all the following. Uh, it definitely means a lot, especially as we kind of go into uncharted territories in this 2020 calendar year. Okay, so the latest around college football, eh? getting kind of crazy, right? Because the first news article I want to bring your attention to is actually from the Wall Street Journal which titles coronavirus is turning into college football into football without college, which basically means as we move forward, we might not see students on campus except for the college football players because that's how important college football seems to be, not only to the fans at home, but also to the financial revenue of some of these different colleges. We saw Iowa kick out four of their sports, simply cutting them because they don't have the money. I was surprised by the swimming Again, because of the swimming situation where that money typically, um, well, A, it doesn't cost them much to run a swimming program, but also a lot of the time, those individuals still pay tuition. So I'm a little surprised to see that being cut. If you want more information about those financial situations, I encourage you to check out Matt Brown uh, with Extra Points. He does a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, he's actually been on the show to talk about that specifically. So if you're interested in that more and more of an expert opinion on it, uh, go check out Matt Brown for that. But the more important aspect is as we kind of move into more coronavirus outbreaks and more into the college football season, will we see more universities closing up shop, going back to virtual school, but making their college football players stay on campus? That's going to be the question mark because we're seeing all across the country now, whether it's in Penn State or Auburn, we're seeing college students going out and being college students. You can't ask, you know, 20, 30, 40,000 college students to not go be college students, whether that's in a dorm, whether that's at a bar, whether that's at a fraternity, they're going to go party. They're going to go have fun. It's really hard to blame them. And to me, it's a little bit upsetting to see the universities blaming the students for these outbreaks. The Daily Tar Heel posted an article on August 21st, and they're saying documents obtained by the Daily Tar Heel show that before UNC announced its reopening plan, the administration received early warning messages from top medical professionals at the university predicting outbreaks of COVID-19 on campus. So basically, UNC knew what was going to happen before it happened, and yet they still had everyone come back for campus for a week. After a couple huge outbreaks, they've now sent everyone back home. Michigan State's done something similar. NC State has done something similar. Notre Dame hasn't sent everyone home permanently, but they're on a two-week break hiatus, if you will, uh, as they try to get things under control. So these universities knew that there was going to be outbreaks. I don't know, you know, it's hard to say, oh yeah, they knew it was going to be this bad and it was always going to stay this bad, but they were well aware that this could possibly happen. Now, that being said, it's also hard to necessarily just blame the university, right? Because why did the university have these kids come back? I'm talking about normal students here. Well, the universities had them come back because they needed these students to enroll. They needed them to be on campus. I'm seeing a lot of different places, even the smaller schools, 
are still having freshmen live on campus, living them on dorms and you know restricting them to only their own dorm. Well, that's not going to actually happen. You're not going to keep kids in their own dorm, not even in their own dormitory. That's just not going to happen. But they did it not because they expected them to you know actually social distance, but because they needed the money from those kids coming back to school. And you can't necessarily blame them because they really truly did need the money. But the point is, if that was the case, isn't the whole system messed up? And then let's get back to college football here. If the players are going to have to be on campus, but the students are going to get to go home, A, I'm actually for that idea more. I mean, if you've been listening to this show, you know that I'm not for a normal college football season this year. I've made that point pretty clear, especially on Twitter. But I always said the biggest risk for these players are being around all the other students and all around the campus lifestyle. If you take the players and put them on the campus where there's no students, I think the risk for the players goes way down. I'm not worried about the players getting sick from playing other players. I'm worried about them getting sick from Monday through Friday when they're going to school, when they maybe go out to a, you know have a drink with some friends or, or a study group, whatever the case may be. That's where they're going to be most at risk. So I'm actually okay with if the students go home, the players might be in a better, safer situation. Now, the issue becomes, A, the hypocrisy of the whole thing, but also because you have to think about if it's right. Because they are college football students, student athletes. They're not professionals. They're not supposed to necessarily be in a bubble. So now it might be safer for them now, but is it the right thing to do? Because these players aren't even getting paid and are possibly putting not only their future on the line, but even possibly their life on the line. Now, I know they're not at high risk, and we've talked about this many times before, but it's the optics of the whole thing, right? And so the Big Ten, Commissioner Warren said, oh, we're, Big Ten's not playing football. The parents were very upset. I saw their measly protests in Chicago. It was pretty weird. Sean Wade's dad was a huge advocate of it. I respect the parents for doing what they think is right. I respect the Big Ten parents for writing something and putting something in words. The Iowa parents put something in words. The Penn State parents put something in words. The issue is it's not going to do anything, right? I mean, these people who made the decisions, whether there is a vote or not by the presidents, whether the athletic directors completely were against the idea or not, the Big Ten's are not going to go back on their word. Uh, Warren has always said that. I don't care about his son playing at you know a school in the SEC um, and has decided that his son's going to play. It's not like his son has to listen to his dad anyway. So that whole argument is weird to me. His son's 18 years old. His son can make a decision for himself. If his son wants to play, his son can play. It's not like his, he's letting his son play but not letting Big Ten players play. Never really understood that idea of it. I don't think he's being a hypocrite. It's also not his job to keep the SEC players safe. It is his job to keep the Big Ten players safe. I don't think his decision is going to look bad when we look back in 10 years. I think what's going to look bad is the way the Big Ten brought it out, right? Like The Pac-12 did the exact same thing the Big Ten did, but they provided what the reasoning behind it almost immediately. The Big Ten kind of hid from it, and now they've put themselves in a huge PR uh, nightmare. So that's the issue with the Big Ten, not necessarily their decision, but the way they went about their decision. My own, my mom used to always say, it's not about what you say, it's about how you say it. Well, the Big Ten said it the completely, absolutely wrong way. We'll leave it at that for now. There's a lot more other news that we need to get to. Darius Geis, former LSU running back, he seems to be in trouble. There's some rape allegations. There's some allegations that a Sports Illustrated reporter tried to meet with him to talk about his past and where he got his powerful passion uh, from, and he threatened that reporter. And so there's all sorts of weird things going on with Darius Geis. We know he was an aggressive player. Everyone talks about how he was able to channel his anger. Um, he's got a poor history, unfortunately, 
uh, with some difficult family situations. So we had to learn more uh, as well as the LSU program. Coach Orjans came out and said, hey, look, some of the stuff is just straight up wrong. Like, I'm here to support guys. I told him that, hey, having a girlfriend's great and all, but you, you, know, you only have so many opportunities to play at LSU and also play in the NFL. So there's a little bit more to figure out there, but that's kind of on the back burner because we don't even know if there's going to be a football season. Speaking of a football season, we're supposed to still have a football season, right? So let's kind of talk about when the heck this is going to happen, where, where all these different conferences are at, because it's kind of hard if you're like me to keep track of who's playing, who's not playing, when are they going to play. So let's run through some of these conferences and where the heck everybody is at. The ACC. As of right now, it's an 11-game football schedule. And this is on August 23rd when I'm recording this. Ten conference games, one non-conference game. They begin September 7th through September 12th. That's their beginning. The Big Ten, like I mentioned, not playing conference football. Um, All conference fall sports are being postponed. They're looking to play in hopefully January, February as of right now. The Big 12 is at a 10-game football schedule. Nine conference games, one non-conference game with conference games starting September 26th. All non-conference games must be completed before then um, because they, once they get to the conference schedule, they don't want people playing outside the conference for you know uh, coronavirus testing purposes, etc. The SEC is at a 10-game football schedule, 10 conference games, zero non-conference games. They also start September 26th. They've also came out lately. A lot of SEC schools are now reducing capacity to 25, 20, 30%, as well as some Big 12 schools. The Pac-12 Conference has postponed all fall football seasons, and they will try to start in the spring, but we'll see. The American Conference, 12 football games schedule, eight conference games, four non-conference games. They seem to be the most diverse, um, and they look to try to start conference games by September 19th as of right now. Nothing from this USA as of two days ago. The MAC is not playing any football at all. The Mountain West is not playing any football at all. The Sun Belt is currently playing a 12-game football schedule, eight conference games, up to four non-conference games. Um, and they're supposed to, again, start over Labor Day weekend. But that's all we technically know right now. There is a week zero game still slated. It's an FCS game between Austin PV and Central Arkansas. Um, and that's supposed to be Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, other than that, you're going to b- basically see most things starting around Labor Day. Uh, Southern Miss plays South Alabama on Thursday. You got BYU versus Navy on Monday, September 7th. And Miami versus UAB on Thursday, September 10th, as of right now. But as we get into the topic at hand of the podcast today, you'll come to find out that things could be on the eve of being played and then being canceled. We've seen that before, and we could very well see that again here shortly. So just because things look possible now, as we're, we're kind of almost two weeks or one week away, depending on where you look at it, uh, from college football, it doesn't necessarily mean we're actually going to see the season. Heck, games could be canceled right into the last minute. Uh, so just keep that in mind as well. There's also another good article I would recommend, uh, CBS uh, sports questions raised as students leave campus with the 2020 college football season approaching. That's by Dennis Dodd. I would highly recommend you read that. It's only like a five minute read, so I would recommend that one as well. Okay, so the news, normal college football news is over. I do want to highlight the G12 Football League, which is an NCAA football 14 league that I'm a part of with 12, or I should say 11 other streamers on Twitch. Uh, we have been playing now for, I believe, six weeks. We are now into the seventh week. And uh, and things are pretty good here. I'm actually playing as Oklahoma. I'm number one in the country. 
Um, and I won my last game 70 to 14 over TCU. Uh, number eight, Oregon, uh, played by Rumbus TV, won 44 to 41 over Colorado in overtime. Uh, Nebraska, who was actually the commissioner of the league, uh, a fantasy world league, he lost to Illinois 54 to six. Really upsetting game there. Uh, D's Diabetes, number 11, South Carolina, beat Kentucky 45 to three. Brian, who's in charge of Miami, uh, Gridiron Greats, he beat Georgia Tech 50 to 23. Uh, Clemson, number four in the country, uh, 65 to 35 over Syracuse. West Virginia getting the upset win, uh, 28-26 over number 25, Baylor. That's Chuckleberry's West Virginia. Number nine, Notre Dame, 49 over number six, Alabama, 17. That was two users there. Number uh, number nine, Notre Dame is Yofi. Number six, Alabama is Ravens fan. And then last night, MacDub lost 28-29 in overtime to Memphis. So you have no idea what I'm talking about. It's a Go, go to Twitch. Go to the G12 Football League. Uh, there's a Discord for it as well. But basically, we are playing one game per week as if the uh, the season was normal. We're playing the college football season with the 2020 rosters. I believe uh, Spencer Rattler is is possibly in the running there for Heisman. So if you're interested in NCAA Football 14, uh, you love content like that, you're looking for any sort of college football content, I encourage you to go check out the D- G12 Football League. All the games are streamed. Most of the games, if not all the games, are commentated by two commentators as well. So definitely go check those out as well. Again, they're on Twitter as well. I retweet their stuff all the time. As well as you can follow me on Twitter, Hardcore CFB. All right, with that being said, let's get into the the topic today. And that is the 1918 flu slash the Spanish flu. This was an exceptionally fun topic to research for myself. Again, I have a degree in biochemistry and molecular biology. And so I love microbiology. I love virology. And so you combine, you know, my major with my passion, which is college football. And this is a fantastic topic to talk about. Uh, I'm not going to spend too much time on the actual virus itself because most of you probably don't care that much about the virus itself, um, but more about the CFB impact during the 1918 flu, but also how that, you know, possibly compares to what we will be going through here in about two weeks or have already been going through. Uh, so with that being said, let's let's get into it here. In the 1918 flu slash the Spanish flu, whatever you want to call it, I try to stay away from the Spanish flu name, but it was first actually found in Kansas, and it's the H1N1 virus, right? It's an avian virus. 500 million people, one third of the population at the time, became infected with the 1918 flu. There was approximately estimated 15 million worldwide fatalities. 675,000 deaths in just the United States alone. Now, one of the reasons why it was so bad was there's obviously no vaccine for it. But in 1918, there was no true antibiotics. So what happened was people were getting sick, but then any sort of bacterial infection was also killing a lot of people because they didn't have the antibiotics to treat people. So it was almost a compound issue. And when you have that many people sick at one time, the hospitals are absolutely overflown. You know, they, they have no way of keeping you know, up to date with people. So all of a sudden people are dying from things that they shouldn't even really be dying from, but simply hospitals can't keep up with everything. It was, like I said, first found in Kansas in the spring of 1918. Uh, the spring was bad. It got a little bit better in the summer, but then it got worse again in the fall. The reason why I guess it was so deadly was because it killed people you know, from the demographics of 20 to 40 years old and healthy people. Um, 
Nancy Tomes, a professor in history at Stony Brook, said, quote, when I teach my U.S. history course, I tell my students 1919 is in the running for one of the worst years in American history, end quote. And I think the reason why she thinks that is because 1918, yeah, the flu was really bad, but it got bad in 1919 as well. But then the United States was also dealing with World War One. Now, their involvement in World War One was not like their involvement in World War Two. There was a lot more deaths and mobilization by France, Britain, and Germany in World War One. World War One for the United States wasn't so bad because, well, Woodrow Wilson came out and said, hey, we need college football. And so they actually allowed college football to continue to happen from a morale standpoint. But also they said, hey, the training that these college students will have during the college football season will actually prepare them to go to war. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I'm not an expert on anything like that. But that's kind of why the college football season wasn't necessarily affected as much from World War I as necessarily from World War II. Now, when we start talking about the college football season, it's important to note 1918, the NFL wasn't professionally organized yet. It wasn't professionally organized until about 1920. So most teams didn't play in 1918. Now, there was a league in Ohio, and one of the teams, by the way, is because of the Dayton Triangles, they played. Uh, across the country, though, there's lots of travel restrictions. So for the most part, you're talking about regional affair football. We're not seeing a bunch of uh, teams from the north coming down to play the teams from the south or vice versa. There's a couple exceptions that we'll kind of get to. Uh, but for the most part, you're talking about teams playing locally um, and, and for the most part not playing very much at all, to be honest with you. Uh, I mentioned that Woodrow Wilson said they wanted the morale to be increased. But in order to increase the amount of football teams that everyone could play regionally, football teams were created at military posts across the country to play university teams. Nobody was ID checking anybody. Older player, professional players were all trying to get in there to play, according to Jeremy Swick, who was a former college football Hall of Fame curator and historian, who's obviously still a historian now, but one of the best college football historians out there. Uh, he talks about that a lot in ESPN's article. And I guess this is a good point to mention that I have a lot of sources for this, but I highly recommend SI, Tony Barnhart's uh, The Pandemic in College Football. I look back at the 1918 season. SB Nations, The Crimson Quarry has a great article on the 1918 flu. ESPN football historians talk about the game in a previous pandemic is also another great article as well. Um, as well as one other one, and I got to give a shout out to him because he's a big follower of the show. Um, he, and it was really nice of him to write this. It was a great piece. But that was by Zach Bigalki. And I might be saying that wrong, but I hope I'm not. But Saturday Blitz had a great article as well. And it was How College Football Navigated the 1918 Spanish Flu Pandemic. Uh, so check those sources out, if you will. I think there's a lot of great information in there. And that's where I'm getting a lot of my information from as well. Um, but moving back to where we were talking about a second ago. Lots of restrictions, lots of new weird teams that nobody had really talked about before or heard of before. So when you look at the 1918 season and you see some of the teams that everyone's playing, you're like, who's that team? Who's that team? Um, and it really made the whole season weird, right? Because there wasn't a very clear, concise, or uh, very much clarity when it came to the college football season because some people played two games, some people played 10 games. It was a big mess. People were playing all over the place. People were playing not at all, even within some conferences. Uh, you thought maybe the conferences would have some more consistency, but they really didn't. We'll get into the Big Ten in one second. Now, when you think of the 1918 flu, I think I've seen this a lot on Twitter at least. 
with the Georgia Tech home game. And that picture is taken by Thomas Carter during the 1918 pandemic. Um, not exactly sure the, what game that's at, but you see a lot of people wearing masks and all that kind of good stuff like that. Um, it kind of makes the idea, kind of gives people the impression that, hey, we can play college football in pandemics. We did it in 1918. Now, it's not like the fault of the picture by any means, but people playing during the 1918 pandemic wasn't necessarily a, a gimme. 20% of the major college football teams didn't play in the 1918 season the army versus navy game wasn't played a lot of schools now most of the time you didn't really start until october anyway but a lot of schools didn't play until october or november or maybe not at all the missouri valley conference had missouri had nebraska had kansas they didn't play any games lsu the reigning national champions from the year ago 19 2019 not 1917 um, but lsu didn't play in 1918 they called it the quote the silent season end quote so I'd say most schools probably ended up playing around four to six games. Some played less, some played more. One team that did play more was the 1918 Georgia Tech team, the Golden Tornadoes, if you will. They played seven games, six of which were at Grant Field, and they were coached by none other than John Heisman. And they pounded some teams. I mean, they really pounded some teams. It kind of shows you the lack of parity in college football in the early 1900s. I mean, it was it was kind of silly, right? They, they beat a lot of teams by 100, including Furman, Oglethorpe 11th Calvary, which was a mercy rule that ended uh, uh, before or during the third quarter. You got NC State, they beat by more than 100. They outscored their first five opponents 425 to zero. 425 to zero. So, Georgia Tech, not much of you know, not much competition until they played Pittsburgh, which is these are one of the few regional, or I should say, national games that happened, and that was on November 23rd. Georgia Tech playing at Pittsburgh at Forbes Field against Pop Warner. So you had you had Heisman versus Warner in a 1918 pandemic. Well, Georgia Tech lost 32-0. to zero. I think it's probably one of the biggest capacity crowds that you see during the 1918 season. There were 30,000 people at that game. Apparently, it also benefited military charities. I'm not really sure exactly what that means, but I'm, I'm for it, I guess, if there was that. Sure, that's good. Um, so that was probably one of the bigger games. There was a game that was supposed to be scheduled against UPenn, but if you know anything about the Spanish flu, it hit really hard in Philadelphia, and so that game was eventually canceled. Now, not everybody canceled, even though they might have been right outside of the pandemic or right in the pandemic. Rutgers, Queensman, they played, and they had overflowing hospitals just a couple miles away. Uh, Northwestern season opener against Lake Forest College on October 5th was canceled uh, because of, quote, spread of influenza, and that's quoted by the Great Falls Tribune. Uh, that same day that Northwestern's game was canceled, the Big Ten schedule was revised and pushed back to early October to early November. Uh, the biggest game probably that was canceled, and if I had to consider what this would look like for the 2020 season, I guess it would probably be like Alabama versus USC or maybe Oregon versus Ohio State. I mean, this is, a, from all I can tell, a pretty high-implicated game between Pittsburgh and Great Lakes Naval Station. And that, I believe, was canceled on the eve of the game due to influenza quarantine. So can you imagine, like, Oregon, Ohio State about to play on the Friday? Like, college game day has been, you know, hyping it up all week, and we're all excited. And next, you know, you wake up on Saturday morning, and the game had been canceled because of influenza quarantine. Like, that's the kind of 
reality we face even in the 2020 season. Now, I know we don't have as many exciting games, but I mean, the SEC down here in Auburn, I know people are excited about some of the additional games, but imagine the Iron Bowl about to happen and being canceled the day before because of influenza quarantine. People would go absolutely nuts nowadays. Other rivalry games were pushed back. Stanford and USC didn't play until November 23rd. Uh, this is kind of interesting and also kind of weird because I can totally see this happening in the 2020 season, right? So basically, in Pasadena, things were getting worse. And so like, hey, we need to put in some new restrictions because people are, it's getting bad again. Well, this game was supposed to start on November 23rd at 4 p.m. So the commissioner, I guess there was some sort of vote or whatever like that, but the commissioner at the time said, hey, we're going to institute new quarantine rules uh, that start at 4 p.m. Well, just so coincidentally happened that the Stanford-USC kick started at 3 p.m., one hour before the new quarantine rules, so therefore they weren't affected. So you're seeing all sorts of things like that where, like, hey, we're trying to get these games played even though we're going to find a loophole to make sure the game's played maybe against the safety of our own citizens. Hopefully I didn't botch that too much, and hopefully someone who isn't related to the commissioner in Pasadena comes after me. Now, the 1918 Rose Bowl wasn't called the Rose Bowl. It was called the Tournament East-West Game. And it ended up being against two military institutions, the Great Lakes Navy of Illinois and Mare Island Marines of California. Doesn't that just sound like a riveting game? Great Lakes won 17-0. So the Great Lakes Navy of Illinois beat the Mare Island Marines of California 17-0. I was telling you about how some Big Ten teams didn't play consistently. Well, Chicago, obviously not in the Big Ten anymore. Chicago played five Big Ten games while Indiana didn't play a single league game. So you had that kind of weird thing going on as well. Like only some schools would play and other schools wouldn't play. So that was an interesting thing. And you you saw that across the country quite a bit, right? So sometimes people just wouldn't play, even though they technically could play. Um, They wouldn't play, and, and that was just kind of the end of it. So when you try to compare all these different teams and all these different leagues and rules and and I can't even imagine how you're going to compare it you know, in the future as, as I get to that here in a second. But wrapping up the 1918 year, Michigan ended up going 5-0. and Pitt went 4-1. and People don't really know who the heck the national champion was. But as far as least number of wins, uh, there was the least number of wins for a possible national champion since Yale went 5-0 and with one tie in 1881. So, I mean, I think what the lesson here is is you're going to have a crazy season, right? I mean, things are going to get pretty crazy here in 2020. I'm still on the bus and believe that there won't be a season. I I think the SEC and, and, and ACC and the Big 12 will eventually back out, unfortunately. Um, I think that's the right thing to do. I think they really wanted to have the college football happening you know, the right way. They would never have the other students come back, and they would pay the college football players to play this season. But... Regardless, I don't see them playing. But if it did play, if you did have a season, if the SEC, the Big 12, and the ACC had a season as well as the American, um, how do you compare those teams, right? How does the college football playoff say, hey, we're going to try to compare these teams, uh, but we're going to push it back a little bit because of some conference championships scheduled later? 
How do you begin to even compare these teams with no non-conference games for the most part? How do you compare which team's better and which team's worse when there's very little sort of measuring stick? As well as what do you do if some games are canceled? So what happens if Alabama has a couple games that are canceled? Do those hurt them or do they help their situation? So there's there's that issue as well. Uh, but when you take these lessons from the 1918 flu and you try to figure out what the best case scenario is, I think the most important thing is to really grasp the idea that nothing's going to be normal. Even if we have college football, it's not going to be normal, right? Two weeks from now, there's college football, it's great, but it's not going to be your typical college football. Not going to be as many fans. There's not going to be as much hype for it. I mean, heck, we're sitting here at the end of August. I'm usually insanely excited about college football, and right now I'm talking about this instead. Um, more importantly, we got to understand that college football doesn't come come before everything else, right? I love hardcore college football. I love this podcast. I love the Twitch. I love the YouTube channel. I love everything about it. This was going to be my first year of a full season, right? Because we started in October of last year. So this was the beginning of the first ever college football season for hardcore college football. I had previews lined up. I had all sorts of great things lined up. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. So no one's more upset and pissed off than I am about it because I really wanted this to happen. I think we're going to have some serious momentum heading into the season. And unfortunately, that's just not going to happen. Thankfully, my listenership's never been better and I appreciate all the tremendous amount of support. Uh, but we have to understand what is what is more important here. And then when we look into the possibility of a spring season, again, we have to think about the possibilities here. Is it better to have some sort of spring season that could potentially jeopardize a 2021 normal fall season? Because that's an argument that some people are going to have to have. If we don't have a lot of players playing anyway, which that's another argument to this whole fall thing, is a lot of players at this point have already opted out. Not all of them. There's still a tremendous amount of good players, but a lot of them have already opted out. So what kind of season are we going to really have anyway? And even if we did have a relatively unanimous national champion from the score point of view, because of all these players not playing, can we really sit there and say, oh yeah, this is a legitimate, not asterisk national championship? I don't believe so. I don't believe so. Anyway, the, the important things out of the 1918 flu really for you to understand is, hey, you got to be flexible. Thing, bad things are going to happen. Schools are going to shut down. The question is going to be whether or not the players continue to be at the school regardless. I don't think this thing's going to get better after the election. I don't think it's one of those things like that. I, don't, I, I know how viruses work, and they're not political. Um, we're going to leave it at that. I love talking about this topic. We have another good stuff coming out. I think next week's going to probably be a rivalries uh, part two, because I haven't done part two yet. Part one was very popular, so I appreciate all the love on that one. Um, but we're going to come back with probably part two. Brad Keen, who came on to talk about more of the IMG Learfield, uh, not necessarily just marketing, but all that entails as far as making money for university. He's going to probably come back for a part two here shortly as well, because he's awesome to talk to. Uh, but first, we're going to answer some questions here. Um, BKTSM, she's been great on Twitter, by the way, at Hardcore CFB, uh, but she's been a great Twitter supporter and follower. She says, which opening week matchup are you looking forward to the most? And honestly, at this point, I don't really know what to really expect at all, to be honest with you. I think there's some exciting SEC games uh, for the most part. 
I know that they try to come out with a little bit more of a bland first game for a lot of people. I think LSU was like favored by 26 against Mississippi State. I don't really see how LSU wins that game by 26. I mean, they've had a lot of people opt out here too. So they have almost a brand new team. I think Mississippi State's going to play that game a lot closer as long as they can figure out, you know, new offense and all. Are they even ready to play themselves? Uh, so the SEC has a lot of duller matchups. I think if it was a normal year, I think the Auburn-Kentucky game would be a really exciting game. I think Kentucky could be a lot better this year, especially with an actual quarterback and not so many injuries. That that could be in a really fun game. I think Ole Miss-Florida could have been a fun game. I think Florida would be favored, obviously, um, but excited to see what Ole Miss is going to look like this year. And that South Carolina-Tennessee game is a pretty big one, right? Because South Carolina, Tennessee. Tennessee's trying to prove that they belong in the SEC East. Everyone keeps telling me South Carolina is going to be a lot better. So, so that would be a very fun one as well to see kind of where Tennessee's actually at heading into the year. As far as the ACC is concerned, um, I don't know. Because you got the Miami-UAB matchup. I'm not obviously crazy excited about that. Virginia-VMI, I'm not crazy excited about that. Um, but when you head into that first Saturday weekend, uh, I think Georgia Tech's going to be a little bit better, but I expect Florida State to take care of business there. I'm, I'm not ex, you know, exceptionally excited about the NC State-Virginia Tech matchup. I think Virginia Tech would have taken care of business. Uh, I'm excited to see how good Louisville actually would be or would have been if it actually happens. I'll tell you what, week two, though, is a little bit better for the ACC. Uh, Louisville versus Miami would have been a really fun one if that one does end up happening. I think Pittsburgh versus Syracuse is a very big one, and also Virginia versus Virginia Tech. So week two, September 19th, as of right now, would be a super exciting one if it stays that way. I, who knows? Um, but but I'm excited for those ones in the ACC. I'm really sad about the Big Ten and Pac-12 not playing. Um, but yeah, those are some of the games that I am excited for if you know those things actually happen. Um, which teams would real, realistically make up your Big Ten conference? That was another question from her. Um, I think Notre Dame would be great in the Big Ten, personally. I could see, you know, somehow getting Pittsburgh in there. I know Penn State fans are like, oh, we don't want Pittsburgh, but I could see a way Pittsburgh could possibly get in there. I still think Syracuse could probably try to get in there because of what they could bring from the basketball point of view, but also from the market aspect of things. Um, but but there's a lot of different people in there. I think Notre Dame has to be a must if they if they did try to expand it. Um, some people think Iowa State. I don't really see Iowa State fitting in. Um, but I, I I would say Notre Dame and Pittsburgh. That'd be a pretty fun one. Pittsburgh Notre Dame playing each other would be kind of good too. Um, Pittsburgh Michigan State playing each other would be kind of fun as well. Um, so why not Pittsburgh for right now? Pittsburgh Notre Dame Cincinnati would be kind of fun, especially the way Cincinnati's been playing. But probably too small of a you know a market in a program right now. Um, Virginia would be another good one. Virginia Tech would be a fun one as well. Um, but who knows? I, none of those are probably going to happen. So, hey, guys, that's going to pretty much wrap up the show today. Thank you guys so much for all the support. It, big news, by the way. Huge news. We officially have merchandise. So go check out the merchandise, teespring.com uh, backslash hardcore dash CFB. Um, we have all sorts of good stuff over there. Well, not really all sorts of good stuff. Currently, we have three things. We have a sticker, we have a t-shirt, and we have a mug. All the prices are super cheap. I'm talking $4 for the sticker, I'm talking $12 for the t-shirt, I'm talking $10 for the mug. Uh, I'm not making much money off of it, it's more of just to get the brand out there. So that's teespring.com slash stores slash hardcore dash CFBs dash merch. Um, there's a link everywhere. I'll make sure to include the link on the podcast description as well. 
as, as well as putting that link other places. Um, you can find it you know, pretty much anywhere as well. Also, hey, if you love supporting the show, um, one way to do it is buy some merch and just get a sticker. Show, put, show off the sticker. Get someone excited about possibly talking about it. Um, but if you want to support the show in more ways, go to patreon.com backslash hardcore CFB. Sign up for just a couple of dollars a month. It really That really is the easiest way to support the show. Uh, there's some bonus content on there. There's some writing on there as well. Um, that means a lot to me. So, so consider doing that. Uh, I'm, I'm currently at six patrons and $30 per month. So I appreciate all of the support there. Um, I just got a recent Patreon supporter. Uh, I believe Julie, Jules with the... Uh, with the bonus and the help there, so so go help out. It's three dollars a month gets you a lot of bonus stuff. Five dollars a month gets you even more. Uh, so please consider helping out the Patreon. If you haven't already, make sure to follow me on Twitter, Hardcore CFB. I'm on YouTube. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel. And like I said, getting back to the G12 Football Network, we're not going to have normal football, right? And so if you're looking for college football, if you're looking for a hunch, if you're a NCAA Football 14 fan, come check us out at the G12 Network. Uh, we're doing some really fun things. It's been a really fun time. It, it feels like an actual college football season. So, so go check us out there. I love the 1918 flu. I, you know, obviously it's a terrible thing, but I love the history of all of it. I think it's interesting that the doctors didn't really want to talk about the 1918 flu for decades, if not centuries afterwards, uh, because it was kind of an embarrassing thing for a lot of the medical professionals at the time who thought they had conquered uh, those issues. Uh, So with that being said, I'm going to wrap up the show. Thank you guys so much for supporting Hardcore CFB and for all the love and support that you've given me in these last couple of months. We're going to push forward with episodes every single week, and I hope you continue to listen. For Hardcore CFB, I'm Corey Lestoki. Have a good one. See you later. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.